Good morning, everybody. It's an absolute joy to be with you. I have been here before, but I've never been in this beautiful new building. Isn't it fantastic? Seeing what God is doing with you here. Hearing great reports. And do you know what? I think the best is yet to come. We're living in challenging times, right? Some of us have been out the country this week. We left with a queen and we came back with a king. Things are changing. And as they're shifting and changing and turning all around us, it makes us ask some big, big questions. So this morning, I want us to have a conversation about a love worth finding. But if you can, I'm used to people responding to me when I speak. So if you can, say with me, I love God. If you can, say with me, I love God's word. And if you can, say with me, I love the preacher. <laughs> Any of you remember the famous Beatles song, Love is All You Need? Anybody going to sing it? If you're my age or older, you'll know that song really well probably, right? But perhaps it is love is all we need. But there's a word that we often throw about in so many ways. And used in everyday language, we can mean big things with it, or we can mean small things with it. I can say in one second, I love my wife, and I love chocolate. I love my kids, I love my car. And then... We have these romantic ideas about love. We fall in love and we fall out of love. And so that, that, that word love is used so often, but perhaps rarely understood. And I'm finding this day and age that we're living, there's a great desperate need to be loved. We run Destiny College. One of our courses, which is hugely popular, is a course in Christian counseling. It's packed out this year. And then the counselors that qualify, they're booked out weeks and months ahead at the minute. Why is that? There is so much need and anxiety and fear in the world around us. People are searching for something. But what is love? We do a fair bit of work in India. And... In normal times, we would visit several times a year. And on one occasion when we were there, visiting the orphanage that we've built, which is in a rural, very rural area, it was a beautiful evening, and we had decided to walk back to the hotel where we were staying. And so we're walking through this very rural Indian village. It's all mud huts and grass roofs. But there's one brick house and as we're walking past this brick house, there's a man standing outside. And we kind of stand out a bit, right? Because we're the only pe white people in this area. So everybody's staring at us as we're walking down the street. But this man stands outside his house, and he speaks to us in perfect English, and he says, would you like to come in? So we said, sure. So he invites us into his brick house, and it turns out he was a retired Indian army major and has so been able to build a proper house. But he had two lovely daughters who might have been 18, 19, 20, something like that. And as we sat down, they sat at our feet just staring at us. I don't think they'd been this close to a white guy before. And then they asked us a question we've never been asked in our lives before. They looked at us with eyes like saucers and they said, was yours a love marriage? And then we realized that there was a conversation going on in this home about an arranged marriage, which was very common in that area, and that's how it went, and here we are. And we would say, well, yes, this is, this is a love marriage. We fell in love, and we'll be married 41 years this year. We celebrated our 40th anniversary during lockdown, and we had a Thai takeaway around our dining room table. That's as far as it went. But what is love? Perhaps the most famous verse in the Bible is, of course, 
John 3.16, which says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. But when God speaks about love, and when the Bible says that God loves the world, and when the Bible tells us we should have that love in our hearts, sometimes we don't maybe fully understand the implications of what's being said. Those of us who have been Christians a while, right, realize that the Bible that we have wasn't written in English. The Old Testament was mostly written in Hebrew, and the New Testament was mostly written in Greek. So what we have is a translation. And sometimes the English language is a real poor language to communicate things that God wants us to understand. So really, in English, we only have one word for love. Last week was a real sad week for us. Our dog died. I'd had her, or we'd had her, 14 years. And every morning, every morning I'd walked with that dog. She was my best prayer partner. And so this last week, I've been walking without my dog. We loved the dog. But I love my kids. But I don't love my kids the same way I love the dog. But we've only got the one word, right? If we dig a little deeper and begin to look at some of the words that were used for love, it might just help us understand a little bit what God's got in mind and the direction He's wanting us to go in. They were often used four Greek words for love. So they would use those words differently when they were talking about different things or different people or different objects of their love. There's the word eros, which usually meant a love between the sexes, between one person and another. It sometimes meant a kind of a sexual love, but that's what it was talking about. The interesting thing about that word eros, it's never once used in the New Testament. It doesn't occur there, ever. I'm not a Greek scholar, so I had to go and dig these things out. You can find it out for yourself as well if you wish, but there's another word. Not quite sure how it's pronounced, but I think it goes like this, sturge. That's an interesting word. It talks about the love that is kind of family. Blood is thicker than water kind of a love. I had two brothers, right? If one of my brothers got into a fight, I was right in there with them. I didn't even know what they were fighting about. It's just my brother, right? That's what we did. Sometimes it's talking about tribal love. This is my group, and it's the group to which I belong. I think we see a lot of that kind of a love today. We see it in American politics. We see it on social media. That's my tribe. That's my group. That's where I belong. And it comes with an intense sense of loyalty. Some people are willing to fight for their tribe, that group to which they identify. It comes with a deep sense of obligation. They owe me and I owe them. But the interesting thing about that word, it's not used in the Bible either. So when, when God's talking about love, he's not talking about tribal love. And that then should reflect in church, Right? We're not a tribe. In fact, the Bible says from every language, tribe, and nation, he's calling them together. I think Destiny Glasgow is one of the few places where you can go in an old firm's game and see kind of equal percentages of both sides. We're not meant to be tribal. But then there's a third word. This word is filio, or derivatives of it, and it means a brotherly love. But not blood brothers, but you're my mate. I really like you. I like you a lot. I love hanging out with you. It's great being together. It's where we find friends. 
And the interesting thing about that word is it does occur in the Bible. In fact, remember when the Bible says that Jesus loved Lazarus? He filioed Lazarus. He was his mate. He loved him. He loved hanging out with him. But then there's a really strong word. And of course, if you've been a Christian for a while, you'll know that word. It's agape. And although that word is sometimes used in kind of Greek literature, it becomes the one key word for love in the New Testament. Now, this love is different to all the other kinds of loves that we've spoken about. And I'll tell you why. All the other kinds of loves that we've spoken about start in the emotions. I feel something. So I can fall in love. I can fall out of love. I can like you today. I might not like you tomorrow. Or it's a love that comes out of obligation. But the interesting thing about this agape love is this. It does not start in the heart. It starts in the head. Or let me put it like this. It starts in the mind. I went and checked so many people out when I was looking at this word the other day and discovered that agape love is not primarily a feeling. It's not primarily an emotion. It's not a, a whim. It's not something that I woke up one day having listened to some romantic music and just felt it. Agape love is a choice. It's a decision. And when the Bible says that God so loved the world, he didn't get up with a gooey feeling one morning. He made a calculated, deliberate, purposeful choice. And he would make that choice to love you and to love me. He chose to do so. And it begins in a, in a very clear, determined commitment that God made. I have chosen to love you with an everlasting love. It's a choice he made. And unlike my choices, which might change daily according to the way I'm feeling or my circumstances around me, God's choice is eternal, it's fixed, it's purposeful. So he looks at you and he says, I love you. You can have a good day, you can have a bad day, you can do well as a Christian, you may not do so well as a Christian, but the word still is, I've made a choice and the choice is, I'm going to love you. And here's the remarkable thing, about even before we had an inkling, a desire, a thought, an intention, a motivation towards God, he loved you. Even when we were acting hostile to everything that he desired, he loved you. Even when we had no interest in anything that he's interested in, he loved you. Going back to India, this part of India where we work, Orissa, which is just south of Calcutta, the southeast side of India, has been heavily persecuted for Christians over the years. And I was there with my colleague one time on a visit, and we were in this hotel. Well, they called it a hotel. <laughs> with a very elaborate name. Palm Beach Resort, it was called. It had a bolt and a padlock on the outside of the door. That's how you opened the room for your door. But we were in there one night. And as we came back from a meeting we heard Christians singing. Now, I've been there 25, 28 times. I've never once heard this. And so we're in this hotel, and I, and I say to my mate, we can hear someone singing choruses. So we wandered around this 
hotel trying to find who's singing, and we pushed the door open, and there were some Christians worshiping. So we just joined them. And then we discovered they were there for a wedding. And we met the two sets of in-laws and the groom. The bride wasn't there. And they were Christians. They were actually very wealthy Christians. And they owned a large steelworks that was being built in this area. And their son was marrying this lady. And this was actually the third ceremony. They had one in the village where he grew up. They'd had one in the village where she grew up. And now they were having one here for the benefit of the people who are going to work for them. And as I began to talk to the groom, I discovered, I said, how long have you guys been dating? He said, two months. I said, that's fast. He was marrying this woman that he'd only met two months ago. And I discovered it was an arranged marriage. I didn't think Christians did arranged marriages, but they did. And they told me how they went about it. The dads prayed, the brothers prayed, the uncles prayed, and if everybody heard God, they said to the couple, you should get married. I hear Pastor Ian is bringing that back to the church this next week. And so they invite us to the wedding, and we say, well, we're kind of busy all day. We've got things going on. Oh, well, the wedding lasts all day. In fact, it lasts three days. Come at any point you want. So we turn up late, and it was a very beautiful wedding, and we, we get to meet the bride, and we get to meet the groom. They'd only known each other two months, but they'd made a decision. Do you know the strange thing is, statistics say that arranged marriages last longer than love marriages. But a decision was being made. God chose to love you. It's unchangeable. And the Bible teaches us that we are meant to become like God as we walk about, right? And so the Bible tells us and teaches us that it's God's desire that we should be conformed to the image of His Son. So if He loves, we love. But what kind of love is it then? Is it eros? Is it failure? Is it surgery? No, it's agape love. I choose to love you. I may not even know you. I choose to love. And the amazing thing about God's love is this, although it starts in the mind, it starts in a decision very, very fast, the emotions come right in behind it. And the affections come in right behind it. But it's led with the choice, and the heart follows. Remember how Jesus looked out over Jerusalem, crying? I'd have gathered you as chicks, but you wouldn't let me. That's how God loves, and that's how He wants us to love. So we have a then a response. We choose to love God. We choose to love one another. Feelings come later. Affections come later. But that is the choice I need to make. We choose to love our neighbor. Who's our neighbor? Anybody who's in need, right? We even choose to love our enemies. This kind of love is actually supernatural. It can't happen just because I say so, just because I want to, because everything inside me is working against it. We're intrinsically selfish as human beings. We always need somebody to get us out of ourselves. But this kind of love is sacrificial and costly. It's free, but it ain't cheap. God chose to love, not looking for anything in return. He doesn't need anything. This love is the deepest of commitments. So when God says he loves you, he'll stand by you, walk with you, and see you through it. I think the greatest promise I ever read in the New Testament, or the Old Testament for that matter, is that when God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'd leave myself if I could. But wherever I go, I'm there. 
And I was raised up in a kind of a church that taught me that if I didn't do so good as a Christian, God left me for a while. And then I had to go into deep repentance before he come back again. But he never left me for a moment, for a second. Good days or bad, I love you. That is what agape love is. It's a deep commitment. When we kind of understand some of this, we begin to realize some things. That it's this kind of a love, not emotional love, not whimsical love that changes, but it's this kind of love that becomes the basis for all relationships. That's how great marriages are built. That's how great churches are built. That's how churches become effective in their communities because they've made a choice. I'm going to love. It's the basis of even the love inside the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We read in John 17, 24, you loved me, you agaped me before the foundation of the world. It's this love. We then say, Jesus speaking about the Father, but so that the world may know that I love the Father. Agape, made a choice. And it's the kind of love that we're meant to have in marriage. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives. Agape, make the choice. Some dear friends of ours who've been ministering a long time celebrated their golden wedding last week. So I phoned him up to congratulate him. And in joking, he said to me, he said, love. He said, love's like a pack of cards. He said, for the first half, it's all hearts and diamonds. <laughs> and for the second half, it's all clubs and spades. <laughs> <coughs> That's how we love. I make a choice. I don't need to change models halfway through my marriage. I make a choice. The truth is that choice can only be kept by the supernatural love of God in our hearts. I can't even love my wife properly unless it's the love of God in me loving her. It's the way that God wants us to love our neighbors. I make a choice. I'm choosing to love. The affections and the feelings, they come later, maybe closely later, maybe right on it, but I've made the choice anyway. That is the kind of love that God talks about. That love must be received for every person in this room this morning. God loves you. He's chosen to love you. You may feel there's nothing lovable about you. I just read a thing in the news yesterday. There's been a rapid jump in suicides amongst young girls in this country. Over a 5,000% increase in young girls going for transgender treatment. They don't like who they are. They want to be somebody else. But God loves you. But you've got to receive that love. And sometimes, if all you've ever known is rejection or hurt, you know the old saying is true, hurt people, hurt people. Those abused go on to abuse. Those who are violent go on to be violent. Unless there's a divine, supernatural intervention when the love of God steps in and changes everything. Come on, give the Lord a round of applause. This love has to be received. And sometimes we struggle to receive that love. Then that love must be imbibed. You've got to breathe it in, live it out, and walk it. You see, I know sometimes we say, especially as Christians, that 
Jesus is our role model and we try to copy him, be like him. But do you think you can be like Jesus? You set yourself up to fail right there. But that isn't the ask that's made of us. The Bible teaches us that Christ in us, the hope of glory. We just simply let the real Jesus in us live through us. And then we're able to say things like, Paul, the love of Christ compels us. On one occasion he says, the love of Christ constrains us. One night, a few years ago, we had a kind of a small leaders, elders meeting in one of our buildings. And I could hear somebody trying to break into the building because they thought it was all empty. So I run out, and the two guys beating in the door, so everything inside me rises up, right? So I'm about to go to this guy, and one of my leaders says, Andrew, Andrew, you're a pastor, you're a pastor. <laughs> the love of Christ constrains you sometimes, or your friends around you do. But God wants us to walk in that love. Here are some of the things that love will do for you if it's operating inside you. Firstly, it will bring you into God's family. Are you in God's family today? Is God your father? Your mother? Your father? Your brother? Your sister? Your aunt? Your uncle might be in the family and you've been raised in church all your life. But what about you today? John, the apostle wrote and he said this, Behold, what kind of love is this that the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. How cool is that? God, your dad. You get into a fight, you got a dad on your side. God wants to bring you into the family. A few years ago, we had a young man, maybe not so young, come to the church. He'd come to Christ in prison. And he'd been in a long time. He'd been in 13, 14 years for very serious crimes. He'd been moved around the country. And then when his release came, he was released in Balini or from Balini. And he came to know Jesus in prison. And so a chaplain said to him, now Matthew, you must plug into a church. And so he's released. His own family by this point have completely disowned him. They want nothing else to do with him. He has nobody else. And so he just turns up at a random church. He walks in. The meeting goes on. He's sitting in the pew. People start talking to him. And then he tells them a little of his story. And he notices over the next few weeks, he gets no invites to anybody's house. He moves and sits in a pew, and the ladies grab their bags and slide up the pew and leave him sitting on his own. So he quits that church and tries another. And apparently, he has this experience several times. And so he prays, he says, Jesus, I don't think much of your church. But Jesus pressed him and told him to try again. So he turned up at Destiny one day. But he decided... He decided he was not going to be rejected again. And he made a decision. And he said, I'm going to tell them everything about me as soon as I walk through the door. So he turned up at the door and he met one of our stewards and he said, Hi, my name is Matthew and I found Jesus in prison. And the steward said, What was he in for? A family. You find his family and this family. I think you've been talking about the church being effective in this day and age in which we're living. Can we embrace everybody, wherever they're coming from? Help them find their place. Second thing knowing this love will do is this. It'll release you. And I'm talking about you now, not the guy next to you. It'll release you into works of faith. In Galatians 5, verse 6, we read this. 
The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You see, the moment that this kind of love begins to function in your heart, it kickstarts faith. And faith begins to move. Let me tell you a story. Several years ago, I had two guys in the church who didn't really know each other. But the thing they had in common was this. They were unemployed. And they had young kids. And life was a huge struggle. And so, we prayed for them, we prayed with them. And they just couldn't get a job. So one day, I sat down with the both of them and said, well, if we can't pray you into a job, let's create you a job. What can you do? So the guy says to me, well, all my background's in printing. And this is going, several years ago, even then the printing business was going through dramatic change. I know a lot about printing, but I can't seem to get a job. And then the other guy said, well, I've sold all kinds of stuff. I can sell things. So I said, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to create a little business just to give you guys some work. We'll create a magazine. And we'll go around this town. And we'll distribute this magazine. But you have to go around every butcher and baker, greengrocer and the ironmonger, and you have to sell him an ad. 50 pounds, one ad, put the ads in the paper, you know about printing, you organize the print, we'll put some copy around it, I can do that, and we'll even put some testimonies and things in it. We'll have a magazine, they get some advertising, it'll generate some money, and off we go. So they thought this was a great idea, right? Now all of this is coming because I'm deeply concerned for these guys. I'm watching their families suffer. So they go out, <coughs> they come back two weeks later, the butcher won't pay 50 quid. The baker's not interested. We can't get this thing to work. So then I said, listen, listen, we're thinking too small. Forget the greengrocer. Let's go straight to the manufacturers. Let's go and knock on some doors, and instead of selling a page for 50 pounds, let's sell it for... 100,000 pounds. They phoned up Mars Bars, had an appointment, two hours later, I've got an order, I've got an order. They then called Pedigree Chum and Andrix Toilets, Toilet Rolls. We were getting these orders faster than we could believe. All of a sudden, we had a magazine, and now we were crossing 300,000, 400,000, half a million pounds. And in those days, when we did this, the whole nation was, was split into TV regions. Anybody remember that? We had Harlech in Wales, Tyne Tees. Remember those? So we decided, instead of 5,000 magazines in the village, let's hit the TV region. And our first magazine print run was 7 million. I went to the factory with this guy who was unemployed and organized the print run, and I watched these magazines come off the press, and I went, oh my God, what have I done? And it exploded. And this huge business just flew within that first year. All of it started with just loving two guys. This week, we've had the most incredible time with Many people met some people I knew and some people I didn't know and heard incredible exploits that they've done. Huge differences they're making in our nation. How did it start? They loved somebody. Someone loved trafficked people. Another loved disadvantaged youth. Another loved the kids in his town. Another loved the alcoholic and the drug addict. That's how it started. They just had a love in their heart for somebody. They had nothing to start with. But that love moved their faith, 
and their faith is changing millions of lives. Do you know what? That's God's intention of church. He doesn't want us all breathing in the message and the pastor collapsing, preaching, breathing out another sermon. We decide we're going to love. What's God's love looking like in your heart? Well, once you act on that decision and that love, it kickstarts faith and things you thought impossible, never even dreamed of, start happening. Do you know what? We've been in ministry also 40 years this year. And it's just been an adventure with God. Every good thing that's ever happened to us, it happened because of God doing something. But it always started with love. It'll release you into works of faith. Third thing, a couple more things. The third thing is this. When you love like this, and you make a choice to love. You don't wait for the emotion. You just you don't wait for the affections. You, you don't wait for the feelings. You, you, you don't wait for the, the tingling sensations. You just let God work inside you. It'll tune you into the Holy Spirit. And when you get tuned into the Holy Spirit, supernatural things begin to happen. What, what would you say is the most famous chapter of love in the Bible? 1 Corinthians 13, every wedding, right? 1 Corinthians 13. But what comes after 1 Corinthians 13? 1 Corinthians 14. And what is, what's it all about? The supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit. And it's all in the context of love is the greatest thing, then this stuff happens. Let me tell you another story. A few years ago, I was out browsing, and I walked into an antique shop one day. And I'm just looking at some of the stuff that, He's curious, I'm kind of into some of those things. And I start talking to the guy who owns the shop. He's a young guy, 30 maybe. And I start talking to him, and I forget all the stuff in the shop, and I now begin to talk to him intensely about God's love. And then he says to me, I'm not interested. Business is good. My girlfriend's just moved in with me. Just got a new car. Life's cool. I'm not interested in anything to do with that. So I said, well, you know, we're in town, we're at church. If ever you think about it, come and see me. And I walked out of that shop and completely forgot about him. About two months later, maybe three months later, I was coming home one night very late, having spoken at a university. And I'm back at my house at midnight. Everybody in my house is in bed. The lights are out, so I'm creeping in, trying not to wake anybody up. I open the front door, and the Holy Spirit says to me, Andrew, go back into town and go to the chip shop. So I stop. But nah. So I creep in, shut the door behind me, go up the stairs, try not to wake anybody up, and I hear this voice again. Andrew, go back into town and go to the chip shop. So I think, it's gone midnight. The chip shop's shut. I'm tired. I've had a long day. I want my bed. I get to the landing. I'm about to go into the bedroom. And the Holy Spirit says, don't think you're going to sleep. <laughs> so I go, get down, jump in the car, and go back into town. And I'm going, which chip shop? And I hear nothing else. I hear nothing. So I think, right. First chip shop I find open, I'm going to stop. So I see a chip shop that's still open. I pull up, I walk in, I think, well, I might as well buy, buy a bag of chips now, I'm here. <laughs> and so I'm feeling for cash in my pocket, and I hear this voice, Andrew. And I turn around, and standing there was this guy from the antique shop. And he says to me, Today I prayed that I would find you. And if I didn't, I was going to kill myself. His name was Sean. I said, what? And then he tells me that from the day I'd met him, all his life had fallen apart. Everything had gone wrong. All he could remember was my first name. Couldn't remember the name of the church. Couldn't remember anything else. Out of desperation, called to God. 
I said, well, God must love you to get me out of my bed down to the chip shop to talk to you. I talked to him on the street till three in the morning and pleaded with him to give his life to Jesus. He said, I'll think about it. I said, think about it? He said, here's my number. Don't lose it again because I'm not coming out of bed again. Anyway, the following Sunday, halfway through the meeting, he turns up in church and gets saved, gives his life to Jesus. Filled with the Holy Spirit. And fourthly, finally, this agape love, when you know that God has made a decision about you, what's your name? God's made a decision about you. He loves you. When that dawns on you, it makes you unusually confident. Far more confident than you may feel in yourself. God's for me. God's with me. Final story for today. A few years back, I was flying home from the States. And I, never, I can never sleep on a plane. I don't care how long the flight is. I was in Brazil two weeks ago. Didn't sleep for one second. But in, in that time, I kind of think and I reflect and write down ideas and pray. And I remember that flight. I was really overwhelmed by the love of God, thinking, God, God loves me. God loves me. It just overwhelmed me. And I can't remember the reason, but whatever the reason was, that flight was coming into Birmingham International, and then I had a flight from there up to Glasgow. I had a really important meeting that night. And so I was praying the flight was on time and that I'd get home in time. I had a guest from overseas. We had a real big thing happening. It was so important I was going to be there. And our flight came in late. So I dashed across to try and catch the Glasgow flight. And as I got there, the girl said, sorry, gate's closed. You have to go back to the transfer desk. So I go back to the transfer desk. It's a true story, by the way. I went back to the transfer desk. I said, I just missed my flight. I need the next plane to Glasgow. She said, there's not one today. The next one's in the morning. But don't worry, it's the airline's fault. They'll put you up in a hotel. I said, no, you don't understand. That's no good to me. I need to be on that plane. I need to be on that plane. So she said, I'm sorry, they, you know, they closed the gate, that's it. So I walked away from her, and then I began to think about all the stuff I'd been thinking on this last flight I'd had. God loves me, right? He's for me. He's with me. I'm going to get on that plane. So I go back to the desk again. And she sees me coming and says, listen, I really, 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 really need to get on that plane. And so she now raises her voice. She said, it's gone, and Birmingham had a big glass wall that you could look out at the runway, and she said, look, that's your plane being pushed back. It's been pushed back. It's gone. So I walked away, and all I could think about was, God, you love me. You're for me. i got to get home. So this is what I did. I pointed at the plane as it was taxiing down the runway. I said, in Jesus' name, get back here. That's what I said, right? Crazy, right? But I told you, the love of God makes you unusually confident in your praying in all kinds of ways. So I go back to the desk for a third time. This time, even before I say anything, she's irate, and she points to this sign on the back of the wall, you know, treat our staff with respect or we'll lock, lock you up forever kind of a sign. And she's shouting at me now. And while she's shouting, the phone on her desk goes. So she snatches up the phone, and I can't hear what she's saying. And then she puts the phone down slowly like this. And she says, you're not going to believe this. They've called the plane back to the stand. <laughs> she said, listen, she said, a VIP is coming to the airport and the plane has been called back for him. Seeing you have been so determined, you can get on the flight. So sure enough, the British Airways plane comes all the way back to the stand. 
They let me on. I'm sitting there thinking, who's our VIP? And about 10 minutes later, Gordon Brown comes on, who was a prime minister at the time. And I thought, he is so lucky I needed this plane. <laughs> but when you know the love of God, you could be a brand new Christian. You could be quiet and timid in your personality. It makes no difference. God can do amazing things. Let me finish with this scripture. I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any power, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, the agape of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing is going to cut that love off. And as that love touches your heart, let it come to life. And as the church moves in it, you'll change this town and the region beyond it with initiatives and programs and projects and things that start birthed out of love. Maybe you love the kids. Maybe you love the seniors. Maybe you love those in addiction or the destitute. Or the flaky wacky creatives. But God puts something in our heart. And when we start moving in it, anything can happen. But you know what? You need to know that love for yourself. I don't know most people in this room today. But I'm not going to assume that you're already in the place where you're a Christian. And when we say Christian, we don't mean churchgoer, right? We don't mean having a faith. We mean knowing God and that you know God knows you. All of this is possible because God chose, made a choice. There was action 2,000 years ago when his son, Jesus, died on a cross for you because he loved you. And everything that separates us from God was placed on him. So nothing separates us from God now. He can come into our hearts and we can come into his family. It's for you. And in the event there's somebody here like that, maybe it's your moment. To God, I need this love. I need, I need to come into God's family. Maybe you're walking on your parents' faith or your wife's faith or your husband's faith. Time for you to experience the supernatural agape, choice, decision of God. I need to tell you something. Now, when God's got you in his sights, you're going to find it irresistible to get out of that sight. He's looking for you. I resisted the gospel quite a few times before I gave in. I wish I'd given in the first time. It's the best thing that you'd ever know. Come on, let's pray as we wrap up. Would you close your eyes? Bow your head with me. And if you're in this place today and you think, Andrew, I don't know God like the way you're talking. I don't know him like that. You know, you can be in a church, right? And everybody thinks that you do. But in your heart, you know that you don't. Or maybe you're visiting today or maybe you've just started recently coming. Makes no difference. God loves you. He loves you. And I'm inviting you in this moment. Would you like to receive that love in such a way that he brings you into his family? Sometimes Christians call it being saved or being born again. It literally means the relationship starts. You're forgiven, you're accepted, and God gets on your kiss. And you don't have to understand everything. I'm still learning so much. But in the middle of it, God becomes real to you. And with every head bowed here today, every eye closed, just in this closing moment of prayer, I want to give you an opportunity. Would you let me pray for you? 
would you let me pray for you that this becomes real for you? That this new life starts today for you. For you today. I would consider that such a privilege if you'd let me do that. And if there's anybody here and you think, God, I need this life. I need to be born again. I need to come into your family. I need this prayer. If there's anybody here like that today and you'd like me to include you in this prayer right now, I want to focus my faith for you. If you need this prayer, I'm going to ask you to do one very simple little thing. Right? Everybody's eyes are closed. Everybody's heads bowed in prayer. If you want to include you in this prayer today, I want you to do one simple thing. This is it. Would you, just where you are, would you raise your hand in the air? Just lift your hand with me right now. Thank you, 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 thank you. Is there anybody else? Raise your hand with me right now. Thank you. Now, if you, if, if you raised your hand, right, and this, you, this is you reaching for a real living relationship with God, I'm just going to ask you to do one more thing. Would you raise your hand again and just keep it in the air whilst I'm praying? Imagine that you're reaching up into heaven. Imagine you're saying, hey, God, I'm here. Just keep your hand up and I'm going to pray. Lord, we come before you for every person reaching here today in Jesus' name. We thank you that you know their name. You know their journey. You know their story. You know what's gone on in their lives. And you made a choice that you would love them. You demonstrated that love by sending your son, Jesus. And so today, Lord... We're praying for each individual that they would know for sure, absolute certain, that you are coming into their hearts and into their lives, that they're stepping into the family of God with you in the name of Jesus. Lord, we cut off darkness that's pursued them and fear and confusion and release them into the life that you have for them. We pray great grace on them, each and every one, in Jesus' precious name. And all God's people said, amen. Come on, welcome this crowd into the family of God here.